0: I've been running in circles, jumping the
1: herd. Welcome to Afterthoughts, where I pursue the realities in Christianity through God's Word and different conversations. It is my confident belief that our views shape the way we live, so having views grounded in reality is super important. At the end of it all, it is my heart's deepest desire that you and myself would be seeking peace and joy in what Christ Jesus has done.
0: Gotta keep it real
1: you cannot feel grateful for something you feel entitled to. Thoughts. True. Valid. What does it mean?
0: Um I mean if you feel like you deserve it then why would you say thanks for it? But if you feel like you don't deserve it and it's given to you you would probably feel gratitude.
1: True. How could that be directly applied to a Christian life? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well it seems like if you think you deserve God's grace and mercy and and so he gives it to you, then you're like, hey, that's great. But if you feel like you don't deserve God's grace and mercy, mm. and yet he shows it to you anyhow, then you move to worship
1: Ooh. and gratitude. Let's go. And what is worship? <laughs> <laughs> Are you seriously asking? I mean, kinda. What Um, if you could? Yeah. What would be your like biblical definition, like narrowed, like narrowed down?
0: I go back to the you know back the first time that the word is mentioned, Mm -hmm. and try to grab my definition from there. And so I think the first time that I see the word for it's a Hebrew word for worship is Genesis 18 and it's that's the story of Abraham and so the Hebrew word here is used 172 times in the bible and 99 of those times it's translated worship so and then uh, i guess we'll talk about it later so anyhow Genesis 18, verse 1, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under this tree, and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts, and after that you may pass by inasmuch as you come to your servant. And they said, do as you said. And he goes on to prepare a meal for them and eventually becomes plain in the text that these three men, one of them is the Lord and two of them are angels. So it's kind of a well-known story. Mm-hmm. and uh, But the verse where worship is found is in verse two when it says that he bowed himself down to the ground. So I think before we jump to any conclusions, I uh, we need to recognize that Hebrew is a metaphorical type language. So a lot of times they will take something physical that you can see or touch or experience or whatever, and then they will use that as a metaphor to describe things that you can't see or touch. So like worship, the attitude of worship would be something that you would have a... I mean, you, you, you can't see when somebody is truly worshiping or not worshiping or so forth.
1: It's not the look on their face when they raise their hand. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because people can I, I think uh, Let me check here I'm, I want to check and see Let's see, Genesis 17,
1: 19
0: Yes Because in, the next time The word worship is used is actually In chapter 19 mm-hmm. And you have Lot Sitting at the gate of Sodom And the two angels come and they're going to pull him out of Sodom You know, eventually But this is when they first approached Sodom. And in verse 1, it says that when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the ground. So there you have worship again. But knowing the difference between Lot and Abram, we kind of realize that there's two different things taking place here. You got Abram, the man of God, and Lot, the guy living with living in Sodom, you know. And there's other comparisons that you can look at too, like Lot insists that they don't. I mean, he says basically the same thing. He says, turn into your servant's house, spend the night, wash your feet that you may rise early and go on your way. So Abram offered to wash her feet, Lot offers to wash him a feet, and he wants, he urges them to stay, just like Abram urged those guys to stay. And then it says he made them a feast. But the funny thing is that it, he says, when it describes the feast in verse 3, it says they baked unleavened bread and they ate, you know, like basically wafers. Like here's some, <laughs> here's some flat pancakes, and that's your feast with some water. Whereas Abram said, let me prepare a little morsel. And then he goes and gets the fatted calf and he gets these cakes, like three cakes, and he brings them, I think he brings them milk. Yeah, he took butter and milk. <laughs> and they, so like Abram's little morsel is more like a feast and Lot's feast is more like a morsel. <laughs> but it kind of illustrates the difference between the two men with Lot not walking near the Lord, but walking in, in with uh, sinners. So all that to say... That people can do what appears to be the same thing, but they can be at different levels of worship entirely. So, uh, Would, what do we what do we take from this word bowed down? I mean, what is if if you imagine a situation where Abram is sitting out in the country and he's got these three men that are coming up to him? I don't know what he knew about them or how he could tell. Did they have like nice friendly faces or what was it? Like, Why did he receive them so readily? Like normally when you're sitting out there and some strangers come up, you're a little cautious. Like, you know, are you, are you guys friends? Are you foes? Are you robbers? Or what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And he goes over and he immediately bows himself down to the ground. And what strikes me about that position is that he's defenseless. Like he, he's basically telling them everything that I have is yours. It's a, A great demonstration of hospitality, but it's kind of a little startling to bow down before strangers like that. And I don't know if he knew that it was the Lord just by looking at him or not. I don't, Mm. it doesn't really indicate it, but either way, he's basically telling them everything is yours. It's basically a a prone position of submission. Uh, What I have is yours, what you want is available. So if you take that as the fundamental meaning of what worship is, and then try to bring that into the church. Like, what do you even come up with?
1: <laughs> hmm. Well, in the context of church, I'm not sure, but on an individual level, it sounds like you're sacrificing everything, which sounds familiar.
0: Yeah, I suppose. Which is interesting then to go back and compare it to the story of Lot, because... Lot had a very difficult time letting go of everything in Sodom. You know, it was It's evident that though he bowed down, he, it wasn't really his intent to freely give them everything. He kind of wanted to hang on to what he had, or at least his wife did. So I think there are, even so like among people today, we'll see different levels of worship and so forth. And if you trace this word worship through like the Old Testament, you'll find that a lot of times it's a bow down and worship. It's like seems like bow down goes almost hand in hand with worship all the way through, and you don't really see a uh, an act of worship like what we're familiar with today, that is like a mm-hmm. a singing or a praise service or anything like that. There's it's not that they didn't do those things; like they they had singers at the temple, you know, their choir, and they had people that would come out and sing and so forth, and but they didn't seem to
1: call it worship. Hmm. So why do we call it worship then? Because that's what I like. I even like catch myself like um, calling it that—the worship service, right? I don't know. I don't know why we
0: call it worship or how it came about. I I know that in my lifetime, I've seen a big change over church, where that worship time becomes like the the key point you know, the sermon is now kind of the, you know, it used to be like the sermon was the big deal. And you you chose your mm-hmm. church based on what kind of sermons a preacher would preach. and mm-hmm. But now it seems like the worship service is kind of, like the sermon is almost integrated. I don't know, I, you know, like it's, like the worship service has kind of overshadowed the preaching a little bit more. And that's just happened within, uh, like I said, like, like I can remember the the shift taking place over the last forty years or whatever, and I think, that, I I think that a big reason that the shift has happened is because, it that worship service is makes church a lot more exciting and fun and appealing, uh, to the average person. Yeah, you know, speaking average as as in uh, spiritually speaking, but, mm-hmm. and I know that we saw a big push in what was called like uh, the, the kind of like a purpose-driven church, which really was more of a market-driven church. And the idea was how can you make church appealing to everybody and try to get them in? And, and this was one of the things that kind of came out of that. And it was kind of coupled with there was a, a a movement, a vineyard movement, you know, with a Pentecostal type of thing that, that they were shifting from... A more stoic type of a uh, pastor preaching type of church to more of a energized, energetic, and uh, what they called spirit-filled church at the time,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so that kind of shift, along with this uh, purpose-driven or market-driven type of church, really had a big impact. And a lot of churches, conservative churches, used to say that that was not that it was not good that these changes. But as they became more popular and and these uh vibrant or exciting churches grew so rapidly, pretty much everybody saw that, that was the if you want to grow your church, that was the way to do it rapidly. Mm. And so everybody's kind of embraced that now to where now you have like out in the area where I live, we got small towns, so you don't have a lot of talent to draw from. But they try to mm. put on a big show and it's kind of mm. sometimes it's kinda of sad to watch. <laughs> but So I I think that's, I don't know, I don't know why this shift has been made or why we call worship what we call it now, but it's, I've I've just seen that it is a recent development from my perspective, probably not from your perspective, from my perspective, it's recent.
1: Yeah, it's always kind of been that way for me, I guess, but yeah. Hmm. What are the, why is it so, man, because kind of like the intro we have in the podcast, I'm like, our beliefs shape, um like influence what we do and our actions and so having right beliefs is super important so how is this important like why is an accurate view of worship important and how is the view we have of it right now hurting us like because in my mind it's like if you have the wrong view then it's wrong and that's going to manifest itself in some way like it'll be harmful or detrimental or negative to you in some way if you don't have it right you know what i mean like yeah. Does that question make sense?
0: It does make sense. I don't like it much because <laughs> because it it exposes kind of what we have in churches these days and and um, you know it's not my not my point or my desire to go around and say oh all these churches are so evil or whatever. Mm. Um. So I don't really want to answer that question, but which I don't remember what the question is now. Was it? Oh, how does it? <laughs> I was impact like, how us. does it impact
1: us? What? Or, so what? And maybe, So there was a... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say we could change it and be like, why is it important that we consider the accurate definition or the true well, biblical definition?
0: Still leads to the same answer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> so there's a story I heard that... Uh, it was. I think it was, a. as far as I know, it was a true story, but it really drove this point home. So there was a missionary who was out working in uh, some third world country or whatever, where you had tribal members and whatever else. And these guys were cannibals at one point. And the, the tribes had that mentality where if, if the, if a neighboring tribe hurt you, you went over and, and killed somebody like they, they were killing each other all the time type of thing. Mm -hmm. So he was there and he was teaching them, uh, teaching them the gospel of course, but then he was also teaching them how to read and, one of the leading tribal members that he was working with was really grateful for what he was teaching them, and I can't remember if it was the guy who got saved or if he learned to read or what the whatever deal was. Whatever it was, he he was very grateful to the missionary, and he came up to him and he said, "Man, I just want to show my gratitude to you. Like, what can I do for you? Who can I kill for you?" <laughs> right? And the missionary is like, "Well,
1: <laughs> you
0: go kill somebody would not." that would not be a good way to express appreciation. It would, in fact, that would kind of devastate me. And the guy Mm. had a hard time understanding that. Like that was the best thing that he could do for you is go kill somebody on your behalf. And I think that's what's kind of happened to the church is like we we come to God with all of our gratitude and we say, God, what can I do for you? What can I do that will really express my appreciation? And the Mm. common belief today is to, go to a worship service and just pour out your heart and, and let everything go loose. And well, what if that's not what God wanted? And here we're trying to pour out our hearts and he's kind of like, yeah, it's, you know, if you want to really worship, you've got to bow down before him and utter submission, like all what I have is yours. That's, that's not, not in a, you know, like it seems like the worship services today, we're trying to get some feeling of uh, love and appreciation of God or something and uh, a feeling of God being close and, and brushing up against us with the spirit and trying to get this emotion type of thing. And what if God is saying, well, what I want is for you to be close and like to, what does Paul say? it? he says, don't forsake the teaching of the word. You know, I want mm-hmm. you to, embrace the truth of the Word of God and strive to understand it, to to give yourself over in submission to me. Is, um, so I'm thinking that, That I think that's how it kind of impacts us is if we don't understand what worship is and here we're trying to uh, show our appreciation to God and he's just kind of like, you know, that's not exactly what I was looking for.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think... The next question should be like, Well what do we do instead of what
1: we see today that's, or not? That's what I was just gonna say. And and I Okay, wanna, you say it better. Okay. Well, I'm thinking of two um spectrums, I guess, of people here. The people who are who don't really have this, I don't know, for we'll just say hyped up worship service type thing. The people that don't go to that, who have a more a stoic view of it and, and they'll even say like the romans 12 1, um true worship is 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 a lifestyle and and we worship while we sing but singing is not merely worship there's people who have that head knowledge what do we do practically as someone coming from that point of view and then also um somebody who does come from maybe a more hyped up service and maybe we didn't necessarily choose that maybe that's just the environment we grew up in um or maybe we did choose it i don't know what what's an action plan for people coming from both um sides of the, the spectrum would you say
0: so uh, i'm struggling a little bit with the first one so like the the people who have more stoic view of worship uh like the romans 12 one where you offer your body as a living sacrifice to the lord Mm-hmm. what what should they do next
1: yeah well how does it practically yeah like what does it look okay. like for them because i've seen i mean you and i know people who like i don't know if we feel like we're reading God's word and we have a hint of pride or arrogance in our heart and we start to see like, oh, this is really the way it should be done. And here's and I, the blessing and benefit of doing it this way. is Super obvious. I'm the only one doing it. You know what I mean? Like that can get into people's hearts and it's gotten into my heart where I, I don't know if I'm like, can I worship with that kind of heart? Maybe that's a, a question to ask. Like, I don't know. I feel like that kind of Um, environment or background has its own set of issues as it relates to the question does that make sense
0: sure so they kind of view like we're doing it right and everybody else is doing it wrong so
1: and which Um, like is that really living in submission to have that kind of attitude in your heart kind of thing is my but i don't know yeah
0: i mean i can identify with that like we Mm -hmm. i grew up in a very conservative style church and And it wasn't a very big church. And we looked around at the other churches and like, well, why do I go to this church instead of one of these more vibrant churches? And it's like, well, because we're better. (laughs) We got the truth. (laughs) Which is not, uh, I look back on that with uh, a little bit of shame. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) Kind of goes back to your little statement about gratitude. You know, if if I'm thinking that I'm worshiping God in the right way and I've got it all right, uh, then... God being near me is something that I just expect. You know, of course He's going to be near me. I'm the good one. Right. I'm the, I'm following in truth, and and that whole attitude. Then uh, hmm. it's it's much better to recognize the reality that you know the reality of sin in my heart is undeniable, and yet God has sent His Son for my sin. I mean, it's that kind of gratitude kind of, uh, encourages, uh, a real true submission to God, right?
1: Hmm. Yeah. How do we get there? Like, so the quote that I mentioned earlier was, you cannot feel grateful for something you feel entitled to. So what if I have this entitlement mentality and it's like, uh, I don't know, what to, <laughs> I don't know what to do with this. Here it is. I just,
0: I suppose I the best thing to do with that is just to turn it over to the Lord say, Lord, this is, uh. I don't know that I feel very grateful to, for what you've done. So, I I mean, can <laughs> open my eyes to see the reality of the situation so that I can understand why I should be grateful type of thing.
1: Hmm. And he might just do that then. Yeah. And I would imagine too, um, like if you have entitlement, like for me, if I feel, and, and this does happen now that I'm thinking about it, where I feel entitled to something, it's like, god's mercy for being one like he like like i have his promises i have his word he came to die for me so i just feel kind of entitled to it and especially when i'm like i don't know in sin and it's not a really fun place to like the attitude just i don't know just makes me feel kind of stale if that Mm. makes sense it's just i don't know it's just not a very refreshing full life we'll just put it that way i don't feel really Mm, great about myself when i have an entitlement mentality but something that when i've noticed it because i've had people in my life who pointed out to me and i fight against it usually because i don't want to see it but when i come around and i decide i want to see the truth and i see it i often notice that it's not just affecting my relationship with god usually if i feel entitled to um to his work on the cross for me or entitled to anything it's impacting my other relationships and sure enough um friendships and other relationships usually suffer from the same attitude like we have expectations or i have expectations of people to do it like act a certain way or for or or be a certain way for me around like i don't know um and you could say like like when i guess dating relationships i see this a lot um i don't mean to sound like some sort of i'm listening to my own tone and i'm like i sound super authoritative i don't mean to um in like dating relationships there's these kind of unspoken expectations you have for each other um yeah and and that's a huge thing like where you feel entitled to x amount of their time and maybe they don't even know that anyway there's that that, that's a whole thing but there's entitlement to, to time entitlement to like a certain level of respect and entitlement to um uh i don't know just pretty much anything and once i start to see it like once my eyes, like, I, I think the Lord, once the Lord shows this to me and I, like, see it for what it is, then then it isn't long before I start to see how it's hurting me or worse, hurting the people I have the attitudes toward. And I don't like to hurt people, so. <laughs> so, so Yeah,
0: you should try getting married sometime. That's when you really <laughs> start to find out when you feel entitled to this or you know, hey, well, how come you're not providing me this or uh,
1: well. Man, one of the worst, <laughs> well, I don't know if it's the worst, but one thing I keep thinking is like, man, I, like I know that that's going to come up when I get married. I just, that, I <laughs> haven't experienced it, it. <laughs> yet. Like I just haven't experienced it. So I really can't say that I, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, for sure. Uh,
0: yeah. So I've noticed that too, that when I, it, it seems to be kind of related. Like if I feel like I'm doing well and, and I'm deserving the blessings that God gives me because I'm such a good Christian, Mm. It has that same kind of impact where if I, if I become aware of my own, how do you call it, this sinfulness, I guess, mm. uh, and realize how merciful God is towards me, that that flows over into uh, other relationships as
1: well. So I I can totally identify. Yeah, uh, that reminds me too. Like this, this entitlement thing is kind of huge. The more I, I think about it, we we feel entitled to like, well, like, um. So some Christians really brag about walking. Walking in obedience, or like being obedient to Christ, I, I to be fair, I don't think they mean to brag, but that's what it like. That's kind of what it is. Like it's that's how it comes across. And and it almost sounds like. Have you ever heard somebody talk about you know the rewards we'll get in heaven? And it's like if I act a certain way down here on earth, and and walk in obedience, then I deserve this like crown or this reward in heaven. Like I'm entitled to this. You know what I mean? Hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Oh, yeah. That seems to be a huge attitude some Christians have, like, I have it right, so I'm entitled to this after, you know, in heaven, or or even in our daily life, like, I I have the truth in this aspect, or I'm following the Lord in this way that nobody else is doing, so I'm entitled to this quality of life, or this or right. that, I don't know, yeah. So, so
0: different from what the Lord told his disciples, he said, you know, if you're going to, I mean, first of all, the things that he said that you would be rewarded for, like praying, or you know, doing something good to somebody else. Uh, Little, it seemed like little things. um, But he said, you know, you've got some people that do it to impress other people. He said, they've got their reward. That's as far as it's going to go. But if you do it in Mm -hmm. secret, and he says, your father in heaven, who sees in secret will reward you openly," openly. And you get this impression of the way he describes it. It's like this little person out Doing something off in their corner, kind of off in the background or whatever. And one day, God is going to take that little person and say, in front of everybody, and say, This is what you did, and honor them in front of everybody. And that little person is just going to be kind of overwhelmed with, like, well, <laughs> I didn't realize that was even significant, or I didn't, you know, that I, I can't believe you're taking notice of that. See, that seems mm. to be the the uh, attitude that the Lord describes when he talks about the Lord rewarding. And hmm. and, I, and I, his intent was to encourage us to say, look, the things that you're doing in this life that nobody seems to see or there's, and nobody seems to be joining in. He's like, it's these things that you do that cost you a little bit. It's not wasted. It it is seen, it is recognized, and be encouraged to continue in in these good things. So. Hmm.
1: Well, should we use? Because it sounds this way. Some people use those passages to try to motivate people to live well. Like you'll get approval in this way if you live a righteous life. Because we have a problem where we have a lot of Christians that don't act like Christians, and so I think some people think the answer to that is that, well, we got to motivate them to live right. So let's grab this passage here where Jesus is going to like, like, make you look like in front, put you up in front of everybody else and say you're the best. So that could happen to you. So do what's right. So that will happen to you. There's something that just seems off to me about that. Like it feels like it's mis, like the passage is misrepresented. Yeah, I know what, what you're saying. saying
0: that, yeah. Yeah, I've seen and experienced that too. Like, well, we're. Sometimes it goes into the realm of like, you ought to be doing this or else you're not really doing what you ought to be doing. And you kind of feel guilted into doing it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And it's... There was one time when I heard a guy exhort us to be doing something. He was basically talking about that great commandment that the Lord gave to his disciples, that they should love one another. So that, I don't know if you experience it much now, but as, you know, in my older years as I've run into people that rub me the wrong way who are believers. I mean, there's, you know, how do you love these believers that you wouldn't normally get along with? It's a big, hard command, Mm -hmm. and it's very easy for somebody to get up and to tell me that you ought to be more loving towards your fellow believers or towards your wife or kids or whatever, and for me to feel very guilty like, yeah, I should. Anyhow, this guy got up and taught on that, and he presented it in such a way. He, he was he was talking about it in John uh, thirteen, and that's the passage where the Lord was washing the disciples' feet. And so mm-hmm. he spent a, a bit of time talking about how the Lord humbled himself and reached out to the disciple, washed their feet, clean clean their you know clean them up and whatever else like his. In the moment just before he would go to the cross. In the moment when he said, now the Son of Man is glorified, this is what he did, was he washed their feet. Hmm. And then he said, I want you to do like what I've done, you know, to love one another. Somehow in the context where he placed it, of like the Lord's humbling himself to love and to care for me, brought such a sense of gratitude that it was like a it was a privilege to think of going out and loving fellow believers it was mm. quite something where he he put it in the in that context of lord's humility and the lord's love towards us and he, and he showed how the disciples at that time in that upper room they were arguing about who would be the greatest and here the lord is washing their feet
1: mm.
0: and and pointed out how often we are like the disciples and so forth and yet the lord's humility towards us and and uh It seems to me that if you want to, you know, if you want to motivate somebody, you can do it two ways. You can motivate them through your words or through guilt tripping or whatever so that they're doing it because you said they ought to do it. The other way to motivate is to really show the Lord's goodness and his love towards us so that when they go out and do the right thing, it's because they're they're in love with the Lord or they've they reached that point of worship mm. where they're, mm. because of the Lord's goodness towards them, they're willing to submit to him and even eager and glad. Mm. I want to back up to that concept of worship that we were talking about. I did a study on worship a long time ago. And in Revelation 19 is where the last time you see people worship before God, which is a little surprising because what happened, there's there's a, some significant things that take place after that, that you would think would be opportunities for worship, but it, you know, it's just not there. So chapter 19 of Revelation, it's like, it's like at the end of the, the tribulation on the earth and the Lord's return is coming, like he's about ready to go down to earth again, the second coming. And so, John says after these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, which means praise the Lord, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they said, Hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And then it goes on, and you see them beginning to praise the Lord and shouting Alleluia and stating these things. What's interesting is that evidently, as this comes at the end, this is a response of everybody as they see finally what God's purpose is with all of his working throughout the history of mankind, starting from Adam and going through Israel and the church and everything else. This is where it all kind of culminates and everybody all of a sudden se- sees, ah, this is what God has been doing. And it's at this point then that it's it almost seems like worship comes to an end and it's replaced by praise. Praise is expressing The good things of God. I mean, you basically, if if you're going to praise somebody, you're going to take that person and say, "Well, this person, they've done this and this and this and this, all of these great things," and you you list it out and you detail it out, and and uh, express what great things that these you know you praise them. You you've done this thing. You've done this really well. You clean you clean the kitchen really well. You not only did you clean the kitchen, but you mopped the floors and you washed the windows. I mean, that's just impressive. That's praise, is to detail out what somebody has done. And so we see here where people begin to shift to praise, and then you see praise kind of throughout the rest of the, the, the next couple of chapters. And it's like they're at the point where they're they're expressing, describing the wonderful things that God has done. Like it didn't make sense what he was doing before, but now it makes sense, and they can't hardly stop talking about it. Like, can you believe what just took place, how he, wow, he just wrapped everything, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and what impressed me was that, Worship and submission—that implies, you know, I'm going to put you in charge because you're better fitted to be in charge than I am. I, you know, everything I only know a little bit. So there's, with worship, there's that, a bit of uncertainty on, you know, as as far as, what the the right and the good thing is. So that's why you're kind of submitting to the other person because presumably they know better.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Praise is. When you understand what they're doing and you can't stop talking about it. So it seems like there's throughout the history of mankind, we, we worship God, we bow down, we submit to him. We can see that he is a good God. There are certain things that we can understand. There's a lot of things that we don't understand. We don't know what to do with our lives tomorrow. You know, we, we submit ourselves to God so that he will direct us and teach us all the right ways. But there is but as we grow in the Lord, we have more and more things to praise him about, more things that we understand, more things that we see, more mm. things that we can describe. And it looks like there's reaching a point in time where all of mankind will, or all of his people will see, this is what God is doing. This makes so much sense. This is unbelievable wisdom. And they'll shift from worship to praise.
1: Mm.
0: So I think the, the what I took away from this is that, you know, sometimes, you know, we We in the worship services are appealing because they are, you know, they're attractive. There's there's something there about being able to express yourself in some way before God or feel like he's near or something. I think what God wants is praise. I think he wants people who understand to a greater and greater degree what he has done, what he is about, and who can... And who, in seeing it, they, they appreciate what God has done and can't stop talking about it or singing about it. Or, so it, it seems like if we're going to do these worship services, I think we would be better off to to come at it, not just looking for some kind of a feeling, but to come at it you know with uh, understanding and maybe some intelligence or something of knowing who God is and what He's done and, and how he's reached out to me and having that sense of gratitude and expressing the goodness of God through our songs or even maybe through our actions or whatever. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But I think that takes some mental exercise. It's not just something you feel, but it seems to come from spending time in His Word and spending time in prayer and actually seeing God's work in your life and understanding the beauty of the truth of the Scripture and so forth. I think...
1: think, uh, it seems like that's what God is bringing us towards. Hmm. So I asked two questions or one question for two different types of people. Would you say? Sounds like that kind of answers both.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I think a good exercise is to, you know, to learn more about praise is to go into the Psalms, and you can find uh, several different Psalms where the psalmist calls out for people to praise the Lord, and you can see. <laughs> uh, examples of him praising.
1: Wait, so what did you say the definition of praise? I haven't heard that word praise in a while, to be honest. Like I hear worship all the time, but praise seems to have simmered out. I see it in a lot of hymns. What, what was sp- your definition?
0: So just imagine somebody who you want to acknowledge. You want other people to see what they've done and be impressed. And so you set that person up, you know, say on a stage or whatever, and you've got the award or plaque in your hand, and then you start telling people this person here. When they came home, they cleaned their bedroom, they vacuumed the floors, all without being asked. So it's a understanding of what they've done and who they are, and an express is the expressing of it. Hmm. You're gonna praise this person. You're going to tell everybody what this person has done and why it's so great.
1: Interesting. It is,
0: and if you look for that, then in the Psalms, there's an interesting Psalm in uh, in the Book of Psalms. Boy, that was original. Uh, Psalm 44 <laughs> is a, a very, a very down, heavy-hearted type of a Psalm, and
1: it's which one again?
0: Psalm 44. So basically, the Psalmist is telling God, "Look, our fathers have told you that you you have done great things for them, and." And he goes on to describe how we have trusted in you. We have not turned aside to other enemies. We've prayed out to you. And yet our enemies have defeated us. You're not helping us defeat, you know, we're, it's like you've abandoned us. And that's the whole psalm. And he, he's crying out to God for help. And, he, you know, he kind of, he says, why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and oppression? And, and that's about where the psalm ends. And the following psalms, there's like, it's it's the same writer, it looks like. But the the, uh, the mood of the psalm is so different. Psalm 45 opens up. He says, my heart is overflowing with a good theme. I will recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Hmm. He goes on to talk about how you are fairer than the sons of men. And Psalm 46 then is another one where he can. it's the same writer, and it seems like it continues in that same upbeat theme. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. And he goes on to talk about what God has done for delivering them out of their, their troubles. And then Psalm 47, again, same writer. He says, Oh, clap your hands, all your people shout to God with the voice of triumph for the Lord most high is awesome. He is a great King over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord, with the sound of the trumpet, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praise. And it goes on talk, exhorting people to praise God. So, 44, a very sad psalm, 45 and 46 are the expression of God's goodness towards them, the richness that they've enjoyed. And 47 is then an, an exhortation for everybody who sees these things to also speak the praises of God. So, what you'll see is the psalmist describing why God is so good and what He has done and what it means so much. I mean, He describes who God is. He describes what God has done for them, and how He's reached up to them. That's praise, mm-hmm. an expression of the truth of the reality of who God is and and everything that God has done. But that, so you can see why that takes some mental exercise. Like you, you have to turn your mind. Uh, Towards what God has done, and, and put it in the proper context, you know, just to stand up and say, "Well, God is awesome. Like, why is God awesome? What has made Him so awesome? Well, He's He's the great God that is King over all. Like His throne is above everybody else. And He heard my cry as a little sinner, a rebel, mm-hmm. rebel against a rebel against Him. And He reached out and He saved me from my sin. Like, God mm-hmm. is awesome. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's praise." Yeah, that's interesting cuz remember before I got saved one of the things that really bugged me is I could not say God was good and mean it. Wow. Like do you remember? I have to, I think I'd it, forgotten that. Oh. Yeah, that was a huge thing. Like I started getting up really early in the morning to read my Bible because I thought that would, you know, make me feel close to God. Um and I I don't know why or I don't think I was taking any cues from anything I was reading to say this, but I just noted I couldn't say God is man Oh, I think I did take a cue. Like, you know how some people just wake up and like, oh, God is good. I couldn't say that to myself and mean it. And nobody else is wrong because it was super early. It was just me Mm. and the Lord, I guess. And I just couldn't, like, I didn't mean it. So I just wouldn't say it. And I'm like, why is he good? Like, I know intellectually he's good for reasons, I guess. And there was reasons. Right. But I just hadn't experienced it. And then when I got saved, it was like, oh, (laughs) 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 that's why, right? I, I fell in love with the psalms and they go like you're saying they're so specific about what he's done it's right like, it's not just this vague god is good like we hear often um and i don't right i, mean, I guess i don't i'm not gonna say i don't when people say that I don't, I don't think necessarily that they're disingenuine um i think it it can be but it's way more like i don't know stimulating and like if you can
0: hear somebody else detail out why they think God is good yeah, at
1: Yeah, exactly. Like how has he been good to you? And like, man, right. he did this. It's like and if it's biblically based and not like you know, then it's like, man. Like if it's real something that I really appreciate and always grabs my attention is when somebody says God has reason for doing something in their life and what God has done in their life is in scripture and it's relatable. Like it's not just mm-hmm. this like it's a yep. super relatable thing, but it's also something that is clearly like or maybe not so clearly to some people, promised in Scripture. That's, like, super meaningful to me. So, hmm. yeah, interesting.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think if you read through the Psalms, and the more you begin to understand about the literature of the Psalms and just how it's it's pretty clear that it wasn't somebody just sitting down and just kind of flowing thoughts. Like, you, there, the, some of the structure right. of the Psalms, it's pretty clear that there was some thought that went into these Psalms ahead of time.
1: Man, there was... And there was one psalm I read right after, right after I got saved, and it was like, uh, I think it was in thirty. What was it? It was like, it was interesting. It was a psalm that goes on about um, the Lord de- delivering all these different types of people, like going, mm. uh, mm-hmm. oh. I think I know which one you're talking about. It's kind of a long one. It is long, but I love it. That's the first one I read after being saved, the first scripture. It was like, go and tell your story, all you redeemed of the Lord, or something like that. Yeah. Um, And then, man, I thought it was like.
0: I think it was Psalm 107, actually.
1: Was it 107? Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. For the Lord, give thanks for the Lord is good. I, I read that. And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah, he is. For his steadfast <laughs> yeah. love endures forever. That's And that's what I'd come to realize. Let the mm. redeemed the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and the south. And then he goes off on like in verse 4, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no yeah. way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. And like all of that, I kind of read it. It was, it was almost so clear to me. I was just reading like, yeah. these as metaphors describing a, a spiritual yeah. or emotional truth. Their yeah, soul yeah. fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in the trouble, and he delivered them from their distress, and he led them a straight way, and they reached a city, and then let them thank the Lord. And then there's some sat in darkness, and it seems the pattern is always the same. It kind of describes yeah. the situation they were in, in darkness, in the shadow of death. Well, I wonder what that's metaphor for. Um, prisoners in affliction and in irons, but then... Um, They cried to the Lord in verse 13 in their trouble and he delivered them and he brought them out Mm. of darkness. It's like it, and it, and it keep, it keep, it keeps going on. It just keeps going. Some were fools through their sinful ways. Then they cried to the Lord like, and, and it's always like, it's very clearly explicitly stating how these people were, they were lost. They were in chains. They were fools, you know, but the Lord delivered them and the Lord led them, um, uh, for the ones that were in the desert wasteland, he led them to a city to dwell in, mm. um, and the Lord took care of them and like, and and I just thought of you know, I didn't think sanctification, but I thought of the sanctification thing where, it's the Lord, uh, this thing like life, without oh, the Lord well, I'm like, right, totally screwed. But here he is delivering us from our sins and not only doing that but bringing us into, um, maturity and I don't know. Mm. showing us the way we ought to live and showing us his wonderful truth. And it's all That's him. kind of
0: interesting. I like that perspective that he's, the idea of sanctification, of being brought out of that sinful lifestyle into a righteous lifestyle
1: mm-hmm.
0: is something we feel like we have to work so hard at. Right. And something that we feel like we fail so badly at. To look at it from the perspective of it is something that God is working in our lives, which agrees with Philippians... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both the will and to do his good pleasure. Like yeah. it's I think that's like the same thing. But you can see it too in the Israelites. Like they're led out of the land of Egypt, and God is teaches them lesson after lesson after lesson through the wilderness until they they make that promised land. And then even the rest of history, he's like constantly working with them to deliver them from idolatry until they return from Babylon and they're free of idolatry. You know, it's but it was clearly god's working to do that like he
1: hmm.
0: he works to do that deliverance which is i
1: don't know i really appreciate you bringing it that up that's yeah. that's good yeah it's all it's all i got <laughs> you know in in like life i was reading the other day too in ah uh, shoot i took a picture of it and i didn't get the reference but one verse that's really was standing out to me yesterday is, it was in Psalms, give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct wow. me in the paths of your commands. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn mm-hmm. my eyes away from worthless things and preserve my life according to your word. And and just the point of view, the perspective he seems to have. Um, I run in the path of your commands for you have broadened my understanding. It's all coming from this place of I know li- nothing. Like I'm not trusting in myself at oh. all. You're the right. one who gives me any, like he, and mm. verse 32 of whatever this chapter is, I run in the paths of your commands. Why? For you have broadened my understanding. Like you've enabled me to do this. I didn't do it because I'm so good and I saw the truth and it was like, I'm this, and I'm going to follow the truth now. It's like, you've given me understanding to see the value of it, but that's something mm. I would never see the value unless you gave it to me. And then the cry out for him, for for God to keep giving him understanding so that he can keep the law and obey it with all his heart. That like, the way that's phrased like give me understanding so that I may obey it with all my heart it's like you ever just get like a command that we have to obey and we don't really understanding so our our heart isn't in it quote unquote oh right yeah that's what I that like I don't know if it just clicked I was like man yeah I want to be able to go all out I want to do things wholeheartedly and usually that works best if I have like an understanding of it and like I thought of uh Jason point brought up the five whys in our discipleship mm-hmm. video. And like he, yep. what he was driving at is, I think he, or was it in that episode? I don't know. There was a, he made a point and said about like understanding why we do what we do and like how his heart could be totally in it more if he understood what was going on and the purpose and all that. And that's what I kind of thought of is like, here we have, uh, whoever's writing this crying out to God to give him understanding so that he can obey with a whole heart, all my heart.
0: He wants his five whys answered. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So.
0: But I like how you put this, like, you know, you talk about how the guy comes from with nothing and he's mm. totally looking to God to give him the five whys, so to speak. You know, every every bit of the, what you know, it's like, this guy is, this is what I would think would be walking with God. Like, you're... Mm looking to god to give you what you need to do you know to do what you know you need to do i know that or that you know that that cry of dependence looking for like this guy is totally dependent
1: upon god like he's mm. walking with god that's and man so that quote it's kind of appealing yeah for real there's a quote by the same guy i got that quote we started with and it's like um if dependency on the Lord is the goal, after, like, in hindsight, it's like somebody listening. Well, I want to be dependent on the Lord. It's so appealing. So if oh. dependency is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. And you see that mm. in the perspective of the psalmist where he's like, I am weak. Like, I got nothing. Kind of like what you're saying, like what the psalmist is saying. And so I am dependent on the Lord. If dependency is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. And, yeah. Anyway. So, like So that quote, so true. You cannot feel grateful for what, or you can't be, you can't be grateful for what you feel entitled to. Hmm. And, um, for me, sometimes just talking through stuff like this and like really dissecting my heart and beliefs in certain things in my, and kind of looking deep, deeper into my entitlement mentality, um, really exposes this. And it's like, both of us are like, man, the Lord is super good because we see our need. I'm going to be honest at the start Mm. of the conversation. I didn't really feel that way. I mean, I knew it intellectually, but I didn't feel that way. But just talking about these things and processing them yeah. really brings it into perspective, and that's something that uh, that's one of my goals to do with with this show. I guess is to do just to talk things through. And sometimes it can seem I've had some people say it seems kind of counterproductive. Like it just sounds like we're in some situations, like the church ones. Like that just sounds really church doesn't sound like it's in a great place. It, it's kind of discouraging to listen to. And it's like, yeah, if you're looking for th- like three steps in a poem to fix it, it probably does. But I think just processing things can like um, give it broaden our understanding, and that is a win in in some extent. And so, yeah, I think you. I, don't know.
0: I mean, what you're basically saying, I think, or what I'm basically hearing you say, is that articulation helps a lot. Mm. And I've heard that from other people too. That you know, when they're reading scripture and they see something that they really appreciate, to articulate it, sometimes writing it down in a journal or in a book or something, just mm-hmm. to put words to it really brings clarity and understanding. And it—it's that, that kind of strikes me because, you know, we're talking about praise, which is basically articulating God's goodness. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I think you're bringing out some... It. Yeah, you're bringing out some, a real solid link here why this is valuable to be able to praise, to be able to articulate, to talk things through, and to identify specifically these good things of God. I mean, it's,
1: that's kind of cool. Yeah, you bring up journaling. I do that all the time. I've had some people say it's creepy, but I journal a ton. And what I found with that is most recently I was frustrated with somebody I was um, playing a game with, and so... I just wrote it all out, like all the details, everything I could think. And it forced me to really think about the situation more deeply. Um, mm-hmm. And I do this all the time. It's just so I, <laughs> I can be like about good things Damn. and bad things. But what I've noticed when I write them out, I just feel better. I feel more grounded. And, and, yeah, so I did that. And it helped a ton and it got my mind off of it. And it's almost like I, I get like I feel like I'm praying when I'm writing. It's kind of weird. Maybe it's not weird. I don't know. But yeah, just to consider, contemplate more deeply the situation, good or bad, especially when it comes to what the Lord has done. I have a a ton of notes. Like I have something on my phone titled um, Questions and Answers and Life's Adventure. And it's just basically all the different questions I've had about, you know, the things of the Lord living the Christian life and experiences and all this stuff. And, And just going, I went back and read through that recently, actually. I started it right after I got saved almost three years ago now. Hmm. And just seeing it was super cool. I told you about it, Hmm. remember? I was like, man, my perspective was like kind of lit. Anyway, (laughs) uh, (laughs) at times. Um, Anyway, yeah, just to reinforce that, just going back and seeing how the Lord has been working in my life and to articulate it just really, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to reinforce the point, but I'm forgetting the point. (laughs) What you said it's good. earlier. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to add or any other directions?
0: Well, I don't think so. I've gotten a major distraction over here. My wife texted and said it supper's ready, so I'm oh,
1: that is a major uh, distraction. Food. Yeah,
0: it is. <laughs> right. Okay. I should just tell her, I've got food to eat that you know nothing about. <laughs> 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 Based, uh, <laughs> uh, except for I think that'd be pulling that out of context. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: that's wild. All right, well, I think we'll wrap it up then. So it's been a pleasure, y'all. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope this has been helpful. um Yeah, I think I'm an analytical kind of thinker, and so once again, just want to r- r- reinforce just talking about things is super helpful for me, and I'm just you know, if I just want to be helpful in that regard to other people too. Where, um, I think we all do. I don't want to make it all about me. Um, where I, well, think, I think, go ahead.
0: I think too that the uh, the practice of articulating something gives the opportunity for other people to be encouraged as
1: well. Mm-hmm. If it's just inside your head, they don't hear it. So, mm-hmm. and it's biblical, I guess, based on the definition of praise and stuff in the Psalms. Not sure. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway. All right, cool. I guess we'll see you guys next week or something. So, sounds sweet. Peace.